Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Now we're on. Good morning again, everybody. <laughs> Glad you guys are here. I don't know. It's a little bit of a sleepy morning, it feels like. I don't know. Happy New Year again for those of you who are here for the first time from the new year. A happy uh, Lunar New Year. Did I say that right? Is that how you would say it? Yep, Lunar New Year. So glad you guys are here. We're going to pause, we're going to pray, and we're going to get started. Uh, we're going to be finishing the book of Exodus today. Um, a lot of things kind of on my mind as we are doing this, but let's pray as we get started. Father, we desire once again for your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And we desire to be the people who move your kingdom forward. And we set time aside like this to reorient ourselves to you, to allow the work of your spirit to permeate our lives and our minds, our thoughts, our actions, so that we can be changed and transformed into the image of Christ. And Lord, we desire that to be relevant in our world, in our culture. Even as we hear about the shooting that took place in Monterey Park and 10 people killed and so many others injured, there is such a need for your kingdom to come not only here and in these situations, but throughout the world, Ukraine and so many other places that have conflict, have injury, and the loss of human life, the loss of human dignity. And we desire to see that change. And we know that change has to begin with each of us, but it needs to move from us to the world. And so these things are always in our mind, in our hearts. And we want to make time for you to move within us and through us, not only individually, but as a community, so that we can bring about hope and change. We do pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that was a treat. Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. Before we get started, um, I know some of you saw on uh, the prayer email that goes out, uh, Shannon Robinson, Ted and Margie's daughter, uh, is in the hospital. She has pneumonia. It's filled both of her lungs. They were going to intubate her last night. I don't know if that had happened or not, did it? Yeah, it happened. Uh, 
Um, and her CO2 levels were just so low, they had to do that. Um, I did text Ted this morning, and he said that she rested through the night and that her blood uh, pressure and her heart rate uh, leveled out so that she was doing a lot better. Um, but they asked that we would pray for healing. And I asked him, how can we pray for Shannon and for Margie and yourself? And he said, pray that she be healed. And then he also said, and if it's not the Lord's will to heal her, that she not suffer. Which is the kind of thing that you can't imagine praying for your child. Um, but that's how serious it is right now. And so we want to pray for healing for Shannon. And we do want to pray for strength for Margie and Ted um, in this time, because this is just unbearable. Let's pray. Father, our hearts are broken as Shannon is in the hospital and in such serious condition. And we do pray and ask that you bring healing on her body, that you restore her health, that you allow her to breathe again comfortably and the fluid to drain and the doctors to be able to do what they can do to save her life. And we pray for Margie and we pray for Ted that you would strengthen them as they watch their little girl in this condition and are helpless to do anything but entrust her into your hands and into the hands of the doctors who are caring for her to the point where they just want you to eliminate any suffering that she would go through that would be unnecessary. Father, show mercy on the family, on Shannon. We pray for your compassion to cover this family and this circumstance. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I know those of you who know Ted and Margie and Shannon, um, be mindful of this throughout, you know, the week. And as more information comes in, we'll let you know um, what it is if things transpire uh, that change. And it'll definitely be on our prayer list. And then I'm sure it'll be on social media. I know Margie reached out to a number of people as well. And so some things that are pretty heavy to just start off. And again, as even as I mentioned earlier with the shooting last night, we, we live at a time where there is so many things going on. And these are just things that we are aware of and, and they can be overwhelming. We These things are multiplied by the millions around the world. They, that it can move us to wonder what's going on. Why are things the way they are? And kind of going to lean into that a little bit today as we're at the end of Exodus and looking at the end of this book. Um, it's a prominent book in the the Bible because it is referenced to in so many ways in the New Testament as well as throughout the Old Testament. And there's a reason for that because it's foundational to this nation, this people, and it's foundational even to us as followers of Jesus because it is what that 
nation was built on the Hebrews and where Jesus comes from. And so there's a reference to this in so many ways. Um, I think as we've been seeing, and as we'll see again, taking place here today. And at the end of this, you know, in chapters 30 and 31, we have the completion of the tabernacle that takes place. And then, or the completion of the instructions for the tabernacle and the need to observe Sabbath. But in chapter two, we have an incident that we can't just let go. I mentioned it last week, but we've got to talk about it because we just need to talk. Have you ever been in trouble with someone, maybe like a your mom or a boss, and they tell you we need to talk, right? And you know something's going on. I remember I was in high school and I worked at a music store and the owner gave me the keys to the store and I had to unlock the store. And I might've just been out of high school or it might've been summer because I know I wasn't in school. And so I was living in Glendora and he was living up in Twin Peaks in the mountains. So he wanted me to unlock the building because he would, it would take him longer. Besides, he's the owner, you know, I'm going to have you work for me. And so I was supposed to open the building at nine o'clock. We didn't have cell phones back then, but my house line rang, my landline, and I answered the phone And it was the boss. And then I looked at the clock and it was 9.05. And he said, where are you? I'm here with some customers and we can't get in the building. And so I don't remember all that happened there, but I got to from Glendora to Pomona in about 10 minutes. And I got there and I apologized. Oh, I'm so sorry. And I unlocked the door and we walked in. And as the customers went, he looked at me and he goes, we need to talk. And it was one of those like, oh, crap, right? I was like, oh, man, I blew it. And I had a hard time in high school waking up. I had a hard time even after high school. And eventually I got out of it. But I passed that on to my kids. My kids are the same way. That's They inherited that from me, I guess. But this is one of those we have to talk moments that take place in Genesis or Exodus 32 because it is what we know as the golden calf, right? Where Moses goes up to the mountaintop is getting these instructions about the tabernacle and what God wants to do. And as he goes down, he and Joshua go back down and then the people are reveling. They're partying. They are they are worshiping. They are engaged in all kinds of things that are contrary to what God wants. And so God is basically saying, I'm done. I've had it with these people. And in chapter 32, verse 4, we see that Aaron took what was handed to him by the people. This was gold and earrings and all these precious metals. And he made it into an idol, cast it in the shape of a calf fashioned it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. We see again in verse eight, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. And the question comes up, why is it plural when it was one calf? At least that's a question that comes up. And maybe we just read over it, but he says, these are your gods, but there was only one calf. And the reason it's plural is because of what would happen much later in Israel's history. And we see that unfold in 1 Kings chapter 12. 
First Kings chapter 12, verse 28, it says, after seeking advice, the king made two golden calves and said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people came to worship the one to Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other. And so we see the same thing happening, but much later in the future. And so as we've been talking about what the writer of Exodus is doing is remembering something that happened in Israel's more recent history that was a define, defining moment, right? It was one of those Kairos events in the nation's history. And so people are much more aware of this and now looking back to it, right? You can, and there's all these defining moments that happen throughout our lifetime, throughout history, and throughout our nation. You know, you might say, well, okay, Barack Obama was the first black president, you know, or, and it could be anything. I, I should have thought of a Republican so people wouldn't get mad at me, right? But there, there's these identifying moments. This is something that happened at this time when this took place. And that's what they're remembering. This is when a king set up these golden calves instead of the temple, getting people to come to the north and worship at the places that were closer than at the temple. That, and it was dividing the kingdom and so it's remembered. And so it's almost word for word, some of these things that are happening, these are your gods, plural, because they're remembering a future instant that is going to happen. And again, this rebellion is more of a condemnation on King Jeroboam and what would take place, but it's also a condemnation to the people who would disregard their king. Right, You disregard your king because he's told you he would take care of you. He's told you he would deliver you from Egypt and you're thumbing your nose at him and saying, we don't care about that. And so now he's irate and he's going to deal with that. And so it comes from this attitude. The completion of the tabernacle has to do with the idea of creation that we talked about last week. And it mirrors that story of Adam and Eve when they say to God, you told us not to, but we're going to do it anyway. And they are exiled from the garden. And this similar thing is happening. They've come out of Egypt and they are saying, yeah, we know we're supposed to wait for Moses, but we're going to do this instead. And so they're betraying God. In chapter 32, verse 9 of Exodus, the Lord says, I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. That escalated real quick, right? It's like, okay, I'm done. You're dead. And we get this idea of that king just saying, okay, off with their heads. We're done with this, right? We're done with this. And so I'm going to wipe them out and I'm going to kill them all. And I'm going to start all over with you which is a terrifying thought that God would just say something like that, right? Having to live with that kind of, man, don't mess up or else. 
And Moses basically convinces Yahweh, don't let your anger get the best of you. Otherwise, and this is what he says, otherwise, what will Egypt say when you delivered your people just to kill them out here? It's not going to look good for your name. That's what he tells him. Chapter 32, verse 14, then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. I have so many questions. <laughs> Is God like an almighty king who gets angry and threatens to kill his subjects because they have broken the treaty with him that they had made, which was to worship Yahweh and not worship any other gods, not to make any other graven images. So they broke the commands that he gave them. So that's it, I'm done. Is, is that what God is like? And another question I have is, can a human being really change the Almighty's mind? Right? Can you just reason with God and get him to do something different? And it's almost like Moses is tricking him, right? He's like, hey, remember what you said? It's going to look bad for you. I think I've tried this with my kids in the past, right? You know, hey, if you do that, it's not going to be good for you here. You know, she won't like you. I don't know what I've said. You know, I mean, it's just, is that something you can really do? Because that is what we see take place in the Bible. How do we deal with that? Do we just say, oh yeah, that's the case? Or something going on that we have to try and figure out? Why do we pray? Is it because if we do, God will heal our children? God will save our loved ones from injury? God will not lead us into temptation. And if we don't pray, is that just going to happen? Well, you didn't pray, so your child is now going to be ill and sick or die because I didn't pray enough. If I pray enough, will it change the mind of God so that he won't do something that would otherwise take place? Can I really change the Almighty's mind because of what I do? If, it's, if God's will can't be changed, what's the point of prayer? And if it can be changed, who is God? Does he allow evil to happen just because people aren't doing something? God is often portrayed in the Old Testament as a character who can be persuaded. We see Abraham do it when there's going to be the destruction of Lot. If if 50 or, you know, if 50 are righteous, will you preserve them? No, I won't. I won't destroy the city of 50. How about 40? How about 30? How about if this many? Right? We see this reasoning. God, would you do this? Is it really would the God who is, you know, merciful do this kind of action? And we see that happen again and again. And wonder just can God be persuaded? Can he be made angry? Does he regret what he does? 
Does he think about the future and what's going to happen? In other words, is God like us? Because that's kind of what it looks like. All these scenarios are as if God was a person like us and could be talked to like us and reasoned to like us. And when we divide up things that happen like this, we start to conclude that God has got to react like we would because we're giving him these kind of attributes. And and it's very troubling, at least to me, because I don't want God to be like me. I want God to be a lot better. I, I want God to have a lot more say in a situation than I do. I want it to be up to God and his goodness and his mercy, whether my child lives or not, not whether I pray enough. I want it to be up to God's goodness if good things are going to happen and not just because we aren't doing the right things, therefore God's going to bring judgment. But maybe we're just not seeing the picture clearly. Maybe there's a whole lot more going on than we understand. But what these writers are doing is trying to communicate that something is happening between the Almighty and with us that we are directly involved in and have a part to play in. When we break matter down to the smallest form, where we can't divide it any longer, they ask and wonder, is matter, are these particles, are they, or are they particles or are they waves? Are they just little pieces or are they a part of something bigger? And and science is trying to determine the smallest things that we can understand or that we can see that we call quantum, how are they acting? Are they acting like particles or are they acting like waves? And what they found out is they act differently based on whether we observe them or not. If you just look at it, it will act differently than if we don't observe it. Just by our observing the smallest form of quantum matter determines what it's going to do. We don't even do anything but look at it. I don't know how we are involved with all of creation, but we are. And I don't know why God touches and heals some people and doesn't heal others. And I don't know what role my part plays But I know that even the people who don't believe in God, when something devastating happens to the people of love, they pray. Whether they call it prayer or not, they say, help. They cry out from their soul to the universe, to the things that they can understand, help. I am helpless. I am at the mercy of something much bigger than I. Help. And I think what these writers are trying to convey is just that, that somehow we are connected to what's going on. And we can see it show up in bigger ways, right? If no one cares about human trafficking, people will keep doing it. It's only when people care enough and say, we want to stop this and step into it that we make the difference. We can say, oh, God, please stop it. Please stop it. Please stop it. But it's not going to make the difference that would take place if we actually show care and concern. And that share and concern shows up in different ways. Yeah, it might show up in us physically trying to stop these things that are happening. It might show up in just the fact that people show that 
human beings matter and you don't treat them like property, it, it can show up in, in just so many ways where it influences the people next to them that influences more and more. And eventually it is supposed to have some kind of movement that stops it. That's what happened with slavery. I mean, it wasn't too long ago that slavery was just like selling and buying merchandise. And there's still human trafficking, but at least it's not okay. At least we've gone to a place now where we say, can we agree that this is overall not a good thing? And the most the majority of the world, I think, will agree. How did that happen? Well, maybe people prayed and did and lived in this connection. Maybe what Moses is doing with God here is what we all do with God in whatever way we understand God. We, we don't understand all of it but we know we're a part of it. The thought that just observing something on the smallest level can affect its outcome seems ridiculous. As ridiculous as a human being can change the mind of God. I don't know. I don't have an answer. I just know something's going on that I resonate with, that I understand, because I've been in these places where all I can do is pray, God help, God help, God help. And there's times where it seems like he did and there's times where I don't know. I don't know what happened. But whether we believe in God or not, from the bowels of our being, we cry out to him when things are important. And so we pray. And after Moses intercedes for the people, God relents. As quickly as he got mad, he stops. It just seems like, oh, I'm going to kill them all. And Moses says, oh, you shouldn't. It'll look bad for you. And he goes, okay, well, it just come, you know, it's like, okay, come on, people, right? Something more is going on, but this is how it's being portrayed. This is how we're trying to understand these things. And so after this incident, the golden calf calves incident, we go right back to the tabernacle. Again, it's just this little hiccup, this little blip in the, oh yeah, God's gonna wipe out everyone. Ah, uh, nah, he's not gonna. Okay, let's go back to what we were doing, right? It just kind of moves on. There's this little part of the story that seems like a huge deal, but it then just goes on. And that in itself, again, I start to wonder, man, this seemed like a big deal, but all of a sudden it seems like it's just over. And maybe that's something that's, we're needing to understand too, that there is the ability for God to move past the things that have happened that seem devastating. So when that person made a mistake that they thought would end the life as they knew it was actually just a blip. And yeah, it was traumatic and yeah, it caused a lot of damage and a lot of things happened, but you can still move on from here in a way that is kind of starting over. In Exodus chapter 39, verse 32, it says, so all the work of the tabernacle, the tent of the meeting was completed. 
The Israelites did everything just as the Lord commanded. We see that also in chapter 40, verse 33. Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and the altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. The word completed and the word finished are the same words that are used in Genesis 2.1 when it says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. As God blessed the seventh day and said it was good, Moses also blesses the tabernacle and the people. As it was finished in the beginning with creation, it is finished here because now remember the tabernacle is marking this new beginning, this new start. In fact, in chapter 40, verse one, then the Lord said to Moses, set up the tabernacle, the tent of the meeting on the first day of the first month. It's like, this is the new year. We are going to start all over. It is finished. Here is creation starting again, a new creation, a new beginning on the new year. Man, that just always sounds hopeful that we can have a new beginning, that we could start all over, that I can be a new creation in Christ, that old things could pass away, that new things could come, right? That the rebellion I had in chapter 32 could end and maybe I'll still have the consequences of it, but I can be forgiven. I can move on without dragging the burdens of all the things that I've done, that there can be forgiveness, that there can be hope for the future, that I'm not locked in to all the mistakes of my past, that I'm not going to be shamed by them for the rest of my life, that I have the ability to start over. The book of Exodus ends with the completion of the tabernacle and then the presence of God shows up with the people. Chapter 40, verse 36. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during their travels. This mobile temple a creation story that follows them throughout their wilderness. The presence of God not being anchored to a location, but to a people and leading them. I think of Jesus' words, I am with you even to the end of the age. Because in this story, we have the presence of God showing up and again, this way to say, I am here and I am with you and I'm with you on the journey that you're going through. And once again, we see that there is a picture of God that they're trying to convey that helps them to understand that he's with you. He is overshadowing you. He is leading you. He is somehow guiding you. And and wouldn't it be great if it was tangible? Wouldn't it be great if there were just these signs? Oh, look at that cloud. Let's follow it. Oh, look at there's fire. Okay, let's camp here. Wouldn't it be great if there was those kinds of things? And of course, in our life, there isn't. I don't know if your life there is. Let me know. I'd like to follow you, right? Because these are the things we desire is the presence of God with us, leading us, guiding us and helping us along. And and 
we find that even in their journey, as we'll see later on, they weren't always that good at doing it. They didn't always follow well. They still complained. There's going to be the, you know, quail incident, and then there's going to be the the serpent incident. There's going to have all these kind of traumatic events that would happen just like happen in our lives. And so what seems clear to us probably wasn't as clear as we would like to think it. It's probably, again, a mythicized history trying to tell us and give us a point of what's going on, that God is really near, but a lot of times you just don't see it. A lot of times we don't feel it. A lot of times we don't understand it. But he's there. And he's leading you. And sometimes he leads us even through the mistakes that we make. This book has set the stage for all the other stories in the Old Testament. This departure from Egypt marks Israel's origin as a nation. And it's an occasion that's still memorialized to this day, right? With the celebration of the Passover every year. I mean, this is like three millennia after the event. It's still going on, which is pretty amazing. And then soon the the former slaves will found a kingdom. And though their pattern of rebellion continues, even when they become a nation, have a kingdom, it still continues. Christians also are heirs to Exodus. This is our story too. Matthew portrays Jesus as the new Moses. And the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus's Mount Sinai moment, right? Where he proclaims this movement to the people below. In three of the gospels, the Lord's Supper is specifically tied to the Passover, And Jesus' death is modeled on the sacrifice of the lamb. Paul appeals to the Exodus story in his own letters, especially when he's talking about baptism and Israel's passing through the sea. The author of Hebrews speaks of Jesus' followers traveling through their own wilderness period on their way to the promised land. It's challenging. It's a challenging book for the reader because we have to wrestle with some troubling moral implications. There's a lot of violence. There's a lot of things that seem off-putting with the book. There's internal and historical inconsistencies in the book. And yet Exodus is also richly just layered with stories that are profoundly influential, not only to Judaism, but to Christianity And it's hard for us navigating Exodus to avoid any of these things. And maybe that's why Exodus, it's worthy of our attention and is called inspired, is because of how it provokes us to think, how it challenges us with all these different things. And why is it we can resonate with so many of the stories the need for deliverance, the oppression of people, the God standing for those who are not being stood for, God using people to help rescue people, people not wanting to be rescued. 
God wanting people to acknowledge him, people not wanting to acknowledge him, and God still caring anyway. All these things happen through this story and this book. And I think that that's why the longevity of it is what it is because of the quality of life that we see demonstrated throughout it. And it's not something nice and pretty that you can tie in a bow and give for Christmas. It's something that you'll unwrap and go, what is this? And you'll put it back and you say, man, I got to think about that. And then you'll look at it again and say, hmm, I wonder if I'm experiencing that. Hmm, put it down again. And then a story will come up and say, oh man, why am I being touched by something like a, a burning bush? Why is the thought of God speaking something that moves my soul? Maybe he's speaking. Maybe all the bushes are burning. I just don't see them. Maybe the cloud is leading me and I'm just blind to it because my spirit is not connected as much as it should be. And maybe justice is at the heart of who God is and he's leading these people in that direction and he's leading us in that direction as well. Maybe all these things are part of this book that we can start to pull and decipher and wrestle with and allow to inspire us. I hope it will. Let's pray. Father, I again am grateful for this book and our time through it. And I pray that it has been helpful for us to see how people in ancient times thought about you, wrestled with their world, and continued forward. I pray that it would be helpful for us to do the same. And Lord, I, I hope that the things we that I talked about today will provoke more conversation hereafter while we are here and for those who are watching and when we go home, I, I hope that the conversation continues long past this morning. Because somehow I find that you're always in those conversations, that your spirit is working in that interaction that takes place, that it's not stagnant, stuck in a building, in a talk, in a message given by a person. It is something that is inhabited in the conversation and dialogue that ensues afterwards. Thank you again, God, for allowing us time together to wrestle together, to talk together, and to share our experiences with one another. Pray they are helpful. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I so look forward to a conversation with you guys right now about all of this. May we stand like Moses for the people around us. And may we change the mind of God with how we live our lives in harmony with who he is. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. You have been listening to the Genesis podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. 
You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.